in the back. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, and it yielded only bad fruit. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Austin. We are, are spending a little bit of time this month uh, focusing in on the book of Philippians. You may have noticed that over the past couple of weeks as several of our uh, scripture readings have come from that letter from Paul. In the next two weeks, we are going to be focusing in on a couple of sections during our teaching time. In this letter that Paul writes, one of the primary concerns he seems to have is helping these new believers in the city of Philippi simply grow into spiritual maturity. And there are a couple of essential ingredients in that process of maturity that I want to spend the next couple of weeks considering. The first one might be summed up in the following statement, a cliche to be sure, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you grew up in evangelical youth group culture, you, especially in the 90s or early 2000s, I'm sure you heard this statement or a similar one many times, maybe to the point where you even experienced this visceral reaction to hearing it again. Uh, it's very possible that it was used in unhealthy ways that alienated you from friends that you cared deeply about. So I certainly understand the reaction it may elicit. But still, if we can power through those feelings, I think there is truth to be found buried beneath the cliche. That is this, we learn how to live by watching others. This happens, I think, whether we realize it or not, through maybe, I mean, it happens as early as childhood, through something as naive, innocent, and, and maybe unintentional as mere mimicry. You know, babies smile at us not because they like us. I, I hate to break it to you. They smile at us because they are mimicking that gushy grin they see on our faces. Or I think of our four-year-old often mimicking or shadowing our eight-year-old. This is a normal process that fuels our human development. You know, one of my favorite activities as a family is our post-dinner walk around the neighborhood, which takes place most nights, especially as we are heading into cooler weather. Sometimes it involves bikes, sometimes it involves scooters. 
it always, almost always involves a much slower pace than I would prefer. But regardless, it is one of my great joys as a parent. It's a very simple activity, but I, I may have shared this story, but on one occasion, on one of those walks, I remember watching our daughter, and she sees a girl riding her bike who she explained to us was a big kid. And then, after we passed her, she proceeds to attempt to do the stuff she saw this big kid doing on the bike. So, oh, she's riding with one hand on the handlebars and the other hand outstretched into the air while standing up. I'm also going to do that because I want to be a big kid, and clearly this is what big kids do. And I'm sure that in that moment, a look of horror flashed across my face as I thought about the next 10 to 12 years of parenthood. But this is a part of what we do as humans. We learn how to live by watching others. That can be disastrous. I think that's where the, the youth pastors really leaned into that statement. But it can also be very positive, depending on who we choose to allow to influence us in that way. You know, they say that imitation is the greatest or sincerest form of flattery. It's, it's one of the highest compliments you could pay somebody. And although I, I think imitation gets a lot of negative press these days because we live in the era of being true to yourself, being your own person, finding that thing that makes you unique and makes you different from everybody else, um, it, it's possible that we would be so committed to finding the thing that makes us unique that we miss the crucial role careful, intentional imitation can play in our spiritual development, in the process of growing into spiritual maturity. Paul encourages believers in the church in Philippi, in Philippi, and I think it's an encouragement that we would do well to hear as well in this way. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 17, where he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. We'll, we'll stop there for a moment. Join together. So keep in mind, one of Paul's primary goals is that these new Christians might grow into maturity, but it seems in his argument that growing into maturity is very much a group effort. Maturity is not something that we can achieve in a silo. So he says, join together. Maturity doesn't happen in isolation without help of the community gathered around us. So join together. And then he says, look at me which seems maybe a little bit arrogant or egotistical, but he says, look at me, live like I am living. This is an invitation he offers in a variety of letters. We might think of 1 Corinthians 11 where he says, follow me as I follow Christ or imitate me as I imitate Christ. Again, this may seem egotistical, like I am clearly the best model. If you want to know how to do something right, just look at me. But I think the context of, of what we find here shows that Paul, it, this is not about Paul being obsessed with his own greatness, but he realizes that these new believers in Philippi, they need somebody to model their lives after. They need somebody that can help them along the, on the way as they discover what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And they already have a relationship with Paul. They don't have 
many followers of Jesus around them, but they have Paul. Um, They're new to this faith. They, They didn't have many Christians in Philippi to be mentored by. This is all fresh as the faith is breaking into new parts of the world. And so Paul says, I can be a model for you. He envisions here, I think, a pretty holistic view of discipleship. Yes, pursuing truth is critical. We're actually going to consider that in more detail next week. But we find that correct thoughts must be expressed in our lives as well. We cannot separate right thinking from right living. They must be taken together. Discipleship is more than just the collection of true facts. If we want to live rightly, we must habituate ourselves. We we must develop patterns and habits of right living. And the only way it seems for Paul that that is possible is in finding somebody who can provide an example for us, somebody that we can learn from. We need to watch how other faithful followers of Jesus approach life, how they respond in real-life situations or, or difficult scenarios that arise. Watch and then model your life after theirs. Again, this is not uncommon. We actually all do this, either consciously or subconsciously throughout our lives. We often become what we see consistently modeled. As children, we learn how to maybe handle stress or disappointment or pain. We learn how to handle that by watching how those closest to us handle that difficulty. We learn how to love by watching how those closest to us love. It is much more difficult for us as we develop to live in a manner that is completely unfamiliar or unrepresented in our imagination. But having examples who are modeling the way of Jesus can ignite the imagination and open us up to new possibilities of how we too might begin to live. I think this is one reason we find a truth expressed in Proverbs 13 like this. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. We reproduce what we see modeled for us. And to be sure, that is a terrifying prospect. Maybe especially for the parents in the room or for those who are involved in leading other people in your workplace. That sounds like an awful lot of pressure. But the reality is, this is a a truth that we all must recognize for ourselves, that if we are following Jesus, we are providing an example for somebody. We are showing others, for good or bad, what it means to follow Jesus. And I think that's a really big deal. In his little work called The Book of Pastoral Rule, Gregory the Great wrote this. He said, no one does, what a name, right? The Great. (laughs) No one does more harm in the church than he who has the title or rank of holiness and acts perversely. This is important, I think, for us to consider. When we claim to follow Jesus but act in ways that are incongruent with his kingdom, it creates incredibly high hurdles for others to overcome in the life of faith. That doesn't mean we have to achieve perfection in order to become a legitimate example 
for others to follow in their pursuit of Jesus. Paul has already admitted in this letter that he is not perfect, and still he says, follow me, live as I live. The point is that this reality, I think, should lead us into serious reflection. How we live matters, and not just for our personal growth and maturity, but it matters for those around us as well. People learn what it means to follow Jesus by watching us. So can we say, follow me as I follow Christ? Not, not follow me and live as I live because I'm perfect, but follow me as I humbly endeavor to faithfully follow Jesus. Sometimes my prayer for myself, my prayer for us as a congregation is that folks would be able to think, well, if I spend time with them, maybe I will begin to look more like Jesus. So the question again in this letter in Philippians, how can converts in the city of Philippi remain faithful to Jesus? This is all new. The vast majority of folks in that city are not Jewish. Many, if not most, are Roman citizens and, and pagan. So these new converts to Christianity, they don't have the history or these ingrained spiritual habits and practices of the Jewish faith as a starting block. So Paul invites them, find people who are living out this life and pattern your lives after them. And this is why it's so critical that we become intentional about this, I think. If we continue reading in verse 18, Paul writes, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So he said, join together as a community. Follow my example in your pursuit of Jesus. But he acknowledges here that there are many other models available to follow. In fact, the, the other models are plentiful, which is why it's so important that we make a conscious effort to identify, well, where is my life heading and where do I want it to head? Who do I want to model my life after? Again, I think this is often occurring whether we are conscious of it or not. Here, here's an example of how this might occur. Well, I see this person over there and, and I want to be like that person because they have style or gravitas or everybody loves them and admires them. They're successful. They've garnered wealth and maybe a little bit of power, and those are all things that sound really nice to have. So I'm just going to mimic what I see them doing, and hopefully I'll get the same result. Now that seems fairly innocuous, pretty harmless, but I think imitation like that could take us down unhealthy paths if we're not approaching this deliberatively. We must be careful in ensuring that faithfulness to the way of Jesus is always the rubric that is guiding our value system and where our lives are heading. There are always other models available. But some, Paul says here, are enemies of the cross of Christ. It may be harmless. We may be tempted to follow their examples, but be careful, he says. Don't unthinkingly mimic destructive patterns. I've said this before, but I, I really believe it's true that everybody is worthy of our friendship and love, but not everybody is worthy of our emulation. 
So who might these enemies of the cross of Christ be? Some have suggested this is a warning against Jews who would require Gentile converts to adhere to the Mosaic law. Or maybe this is about, as we have already addressed, professing disciples who aren't living the Jesus way. I think those are certainly possibilities, but I wonder if the context of this warning in the context of the letter at large, considering this is written to Christians in the city of Philippi. That's a place that was overwhelmingly comprised of non-Jewish pagans. I wonder if there's a decent chance that Paul just has in mind your average pagan who was a citizen of the Roman Empire. Not that they were terrible people that you couldn't associate with because of their differing religious convictions or practices, But again, we have a particular goal. When we commit to following Jesus as our Lord, the goal, the direction our lives are heading, that changes. And we need to be aware of that change. We we want to begin to think cross-shaped thoughts and live cross-shaped lives. So we can and I think should pursue friendship and love with anybody, but we want to model our lives on people who are centered on Jesus. If we want to become mature, we must think critically about maybe even things that we have grown accustomed to accepting. We think critically about the examples that contradict the way of Jesus because we understand that we are becoming like the people we look up to or admire. We want to be intentional in that formative process. None of this is new from Paul. This is not a novel idea at the time. Paul is actually drawing from deep wells. We'll explore this in a little more detail next week as we jump to chapter 4. But it seems that Paul, in several of his letters, maybe especially here in Philippians, or we see it in Ephesians when he addresses the household codes that were common in that day, but he's borrowing from a variety of thinkers. For instance, he he will often pick up or accommodate or utilize truths from ancient Greek philosophers like Plato and Aristotle and then ground those truths in the triune God. If we find truth here, it's because God is the source. We, We might think of Aristotle's framework for virtuous living. It sounds similar in some ways to what we read from Paul. Virtuous living relies on imitating the examples of others. Virtuous living cannot be reduced to a cognitive process. It includes that, but thinking about virtues, even valuing them mentally, is insufficient in translating into the practice of virtues. The practice of virtues relies on examples of others that we see, putting them into play in real life and complex situations. And Paul seems to pick that truth up and affirm it and, and say, we need that. We need to have examples of those who are living the Jesus way, centered on Jesus, so that we might move in that direction. And it's not just our friends that do this for us. It's not even just those who are living 
today. This is one reason I think it's an important practice for us to study the lives of people of faith throughout history. Those who have gone before us are guiding us, showing us the way, igniting our imaginations to things that are possible. Eugene Peterson once wrote this. He said, I think it's important, according to me anyway, to have some mentors in the cemeteries, people who did it right before there were crowds of people to become important. So maybe we would want to set up for ourselves models, especially of those who were relatively unknown while they lived, which I think gets at another important part of people of faith choosing wisely the people we allowed to influence us in this process. It's not about choosing the people with the most skill or the most charisma or people who have enough ambition to achieve some degree of success. This is not about us finding the best and the brightest or the who's who in the Christian faith or something as meaningless as the cult of celebrity. Often, in my opinion, it will be much more helpful for us to find folks living quietly in deepening communion with Jesus in the shadows, showing us what it means to follow Jesus when there is no spotlight, when there is no notoriety, when there is no observable benefit to that way of life. But this is one reason Deep connection within the body of Christ for us is so critical. And I think it's a two-way street. There are others in the community in need of somebody to show them what it means to faithfully follow Jesus. If the goal, one of the goals in the Christian life, according to Paul here in Philippians, is maturity, transformation into the image of Christ, that transformation doesn't happen in isolation. We, we need that iron that is sharpening iron. In our apprenticeship to Jesus, as we seek to imitate him, we need guides. Folks who are providing for us concrete models so that we not only think true thoughts about God, but that we might begin to live rightly in light of those beliefs. So my encouragement, my invitation to you today is find somebody who has that effect on you. Recognize first that that is happening, that you are being formed consciously or subconsciously as you watch others live. Be intentional about that. Find somebody who has that effect on you that draws you closer to Christ. When when I'm around that person, I find myself desiring to be more like Jesus. I think we all need that. Uh, Of of course, those who have recently come to faith in Christ need that, but I I think we never grow out of our need for godly, Christ-like examples to help us see the way forward. Number two, recognize that others will be looking to you for the same thing. How we live matters, and it matters not just for our growth and our maturity, but it matters for the health, growth, and maturity of others. So my prayer is may we look to those who will draw us closer to Christ, and may we also provide those examples for others. 
Thanks be to God. Would you stand as we celebrate around the table of our Lord today? A table that draws us to a very particular example. In that passage earlier in this letter, Philippians chapter 2, Paul outlines the work of Christ that is done in his journey to the cross and then says that is actually a model for you. This is how you are to live as well. So as we celebrate around the table, celebrate the, in, in, with joy the grace and mercy and life and salvation we find in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are also drawn into his life and into his path. I'm going to say a prayer and then invite you to the table. We'll make two lines. If you're new or visiting, we invite you to the table of our Lord. We'll, we'll make two lines down these center aisles. You can come to the front. When you get up here, you'll hear the words spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Take these gifts of God for the people of God. You can return to your seat then. If you need prayer, um, please find somebody at the front or uh, back there by the, the doors. Somebody would be happy to pray with you. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts to receive at the table. O oh God, by the preaching and teaching of your Apostle Paul, you have caused the light of the gospel to shine throughout the world. Grant, we pray, that having his example in remembrance and the example of others who have faithfully followed you in our minds, we may show ourselves faithful to you by following them as they follow Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.